Hello, my name is Connor. And I'm Jason. And you're listening to the Amazed and Perplexed podcast. So this is continuing on, finishing up our discussion of the Lord's Prayer. And just to get us started off on the right foot, I have a question for you, Jason. How did you learn how to pray? It's an interesting question. If you were raised in a church setting, you probably don't remember uh, the first time you prayed, unless maybe it was public and, you know, I mean, it was a big deal. I, I mean, depending on your setting. I I think for, for me... It started in, in in the home, and honestly, probably before I have any memories. One thing that my parents, my mom, uh, did really well is every night up until we were, I don't know, seven, eight, nine, I we would get together, we'd read some story, and we had a ton of these Bible stories. I yeah. can't remember the the brand, but if you're if you were in, alive in the seventies and eighties, you've probably seen the these. The epitome in of cheesiness. In fact, I, yes. when I went to the thrift store yesterday, we were just laughing at the book titles, at the children book titles. They're so hilarious. Oh yeah, they're like you know like uh, like what, what was what it was almost like. Dallas is uh, Dallas is like something goes to the water park or yeah. like they're just oh, all yeah. the most random. Yeah. No, these were these were Bible stories. But, but he, there was even one yeah. that was like, uh, what was it like Moses's day at the beach or something like that. Yes. So these were, I think they might have been written by a real conservative, you know, model because you could tell they were trying to do do good theology. You know, Which, that's be a, very that's accurate. A, that's you know? always a fascinating thing of somebody, mm-hmm. and, not, and not even like because I, I I've either I follow the guy who um, was like the main creator on SpongeBob now, mm-hmm. and he's he's like a fascinating guy. And he talks about it, but like people who are fundamentalists or like you know very like like that 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 dynamic of trying to create fun content from that vantage point is so fascinating to me. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and so so these were not funny. <laughs> they were not they were not enjoyable like the kids' books that my kids read. But but we had those and I'm pretty sure, you know, I know my mom would pray with us, um, but really quickly she would have us pray and it'd be a fed prayer. I'm mm-hmm. sure at first, but honestly, I don't remember. And now I'm drawing more of how we worked with our kids because Heather or I always did this. But you'd be like, thank you for this and thank you for that. And then the first time your kid says something on their own, you're like, that's amazing. And it's so funny. And mm-hmm. I, I've, I've dealt with this with other parents or heard this from other parents where it's like, and then they said, thank you for cookies. Can you believe that? And I'm like, well, you were feeding them everything but the noun but or direct object, <laughs> I guess. But anyway, but it's just a, a sweet uh, – it, it's, it's just this sweet dynamic. And, and I've wondered, too, from my kids, especially the stories, not so much the prayers, but – I probably know more about the Bible from those kids' stories, which means I know it inaccurately, <laughs> ironically, than I do from my actual study, like because it's funny. deeper and more repetitive. So what about you? How did you learn to pray? Yeah, that's that's a really fascinating dynamic. And especially you talk about like drawing, like you can still draw back on those on those readings and on those books and and as as Indigo Indigo's almost five months now and you know, we sing a lot to her and I'll find myself singing PBS songs and I'll, that those songs are some of those are whack. Like some of them have some <laughs> have some, some crazy stuff in there. Well nothing breach <laughs> Le- nothing beats uh Rockabye Baby and London Bridge where you have death involved. It's like huh. I love I, I was a kid, um 
I was a kid, Ring Around the Rosie. Yes, I remember when I found that out one. as a kid, what yeah. that was. I remember like like eight years old going around and be like, you know what this is, you know what this is. And like me and my friends would like, we never did it, but we started like doing that at the uh, during recess. So that's that's an image into how demented little boys can be. Um, so oh, there's death involved. Let's <laughs> sing about let's it. Let's sing it. Oh, now we can sing. It's cool. But so going back to whenever I learned how to pray, I think very kind of similar situation. My mom would pray with us every night. We'd always pray before we you know had dinner, and it was very mm. very. Uh, yeah, very fed prayer. Very. Um, this is the, this is the exact formula. You know, dear God, I always start dear God because anything else you can't you can't lead into a prayer with anything else. You're right. Uh, thank you for like thank you for the food. Thank you. Um, thank you for family. Please help all the sick and hurting. Amen. Uh, and so then, uh, as it's funny, I remember like those. That was all. Pray, thank you. Like I remember uh, the aspect of like you know asking God for prayers for the, the sick and hurting. That was like, that was always a big one. And then as, as Hannah and I, we try to pray with Indigo every single night. And obviously we know that she's not like comprehending what we're saying now, but as we begin to kind of st- establish habits and patterns for, for both her and us in, in this relationship, there is this weird dynamic of like, I have thought for years how I wanted to raise my kid and how I wanted to teach her about Jesus and how I wanted to talk to her. But when it came to like prayer, there was this weird falling back on like, I haven't prayed like I prayed when I was like seven years old since I was seven years old. And, but when I was like, wait, how do I pray with a three month old? How do I pray with a five month old? Mm-hmm. I fell back on these very similar patterns. I was like, how do I, how do I in a childlike way, how do I express a desire for people to have health? How do I express a desire for a general well-being? How do I express a desire for people to know Jesus? And it came back to these very simple things that my mom uh, mom prayed over us and, and had us pray over as a kid. And I remember like getting older and thinking those things were so silly. But now as I, as I you know, and I'm sure things will change and adapt as, as she gets older. Um, but it is funny how as I fell back on those things, like, hey, those are those are helpful. Those are uh, good guideposts for me. And it'll be funny. I, I should talk to my mom about where that specific word, specific wording came in. And yeah. um, and I think it's funny, like, where, what was the genesis of that? Did her parents do it? Did, you know, a friend of hers? And um, yeah, it's just fascinating. And, and I pass it, it on to Indigo without any thought. It just happened in the moment. And right. Well, and one thing that you didn't say in your prayer that was that was very critical was in Jesus name. Amen. Mm-hmm. Uh, in your prayer, like what you just oh, that's uh, recited that's there. hilarious. I'm gonna let you finish because I think I know where you're going. But so I have four, I have three siblings, mm-hmm. and everyone, everyone would say Amen. But I remember my brother Wesley. That was like his signature. Was he would say in Jesus' name, Amen. Like that, he was the only one in our family that would say in Jesus' name, Amen. So you must have had, like a Sunday school teacher that did that. Uh, but it's always funny. I remember that very vividly. That, that like like the end of like an email, we have our like, you have a signature. That was his end of the prayer signature. <laughs> right. Well, see what's interesting is. Jesus does say, do things in my authority and do this. But in his prayer, we'll notice he doesn't say, and in my name, amen, or this kind of thing. But depending on how you grew up, that would have been required. Like I know people even today that if if a person doesn't end, if they don't say amen, it's like, especially public prayer, if they don't say amen, it's like, what happened? And and if they don't say in Jesus' name, um, they're like, does that count? You know, like it's an incantation. It's so funny how like... Even in in prayer and approaching God, we are so we're looking so heavily for the cues, right? Like we we mm-hmm. base. I remember this happened one time. I was at church camp. I I wasn't at church camp. I was leading a church camp, and we were doing a communion, and we had brought in, we had brought like the whole church came down on Sunday. Church camp was ending Sunday, and so the church came to have church at church camp. And I was doing something for communion, and I thought I gave pretty clear advice on when to take communion, how to take communion at the end of a prayer. But apparently, I remember somebody telling me, like, hey, we weren't really sure because you didn't, like, say amen as you, like, left the stage or as you <laughs> left the thing. And so, like, people weren't sure. Like, people left with those little communion packets in their uh, in their pocket because they weren't sure. Whereas for me, 
I was like maybe I, maybe the phrasing I was I was in the spirit or something like that. But like I felt like there was and that 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 very much just could be a communication issue on my part. Uh, that's one of the that's one of those things in in public speaking. You have to be very clear. You have to make sure that your instructions right. are being followed. But I do it, how how public speaking and how the desire to be understood and have your have your um, directions followed how that affects how people under us view prayer because they're learning it from us that's a fascinating dynamic in itself yeah it is and it's interesting because yeah because we a lot of times people only hear or their primary diet of hearing are public prayers in a church setting mm-hmm. and um yeah i mean if we if we went down the rabbit hole of what are the phrases you you heard repeated a lot in your church you know and that's not even if you if you come from a background where they do where they're supposedly doing extemporaneous prayer, so it's not like recited prayer, mm-hmm. like you'll you'll catch in a lot of um, high church contexts. Um, but even in with extemporaneous prayer, you would hear some of the same phrases every Sunday from multiple people. You know, it's like they all had this book, you know, that they yeah. shared at one point. So that's good. Now, good. Oh, so transitioning to the uh, to the passage to the text today. Uh, just to give everyone a little bit of guilt, you know, good Christian guilt early in there the morning go. or afternoon, whenever you happen to be listening yeah. to this, instead of reading the Lord's Prayer, we're just going to assume you know it and just assume you're reciting it to yourself. We'll like put a 10 second blank, you know, I'm just kidding, we're not going to do that. <laughs> but I I, I, I just want to say that I think you talked a little bit about last week that like that shame or whatever, like, oh, I don't I don't know the the special one, the special, the special, the special right. verse. Uh, I, I just want to say, like, I think. It's one of those things that, like, even if we don't know the exact, exactly have it memorized, I think anybody that spent any time in church that, like, when you actually, like, when you don't get that panic, like, oh, that, that panic guilt driven, like, I don't know it. Yeah. Whenever somebody reads it, you go, okay, I know this. I, I know, I know it. Even if I'm not sure the specifics of how it's worded, I, I know, I know what Jesus is trying to say and what he's trying to communicate. Yeah. And it has, it's taken a real um, central part. Uh, and obviously, in some faith practices, it's all the time. They're reciting it, you know, every, every time they're together. So this is how it reads in Matthew uh, 6, 9. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And many will have a a postscript or a... um, Footnote, that's the word I was looking for. Uh, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And so I'll just add in before we talk about Amazing Perplex. You'll notice most footnotes will say this. in When they update a version of the Bible, when they do a new translation, uh, they're always comparing their manuscripts. There are thousands of manuscripts. And later manuscripts, or early manuscripts, did not include this phrasing. It just showed up in later manuscripts. It doesn't mean that Jesus didn't say it. It's just they're looking for the absolute most credible source material possible, which is why you'll find these, if you're if you're raised on the King James especially, there are now parts that aren't there that you're like, where'd that phrase go? Well, it's, it's nothing sinister. It's just they want the best, the best uh, confirmed data possible. So with that in mind, uh, not the footnote dynamic, but the prayer in mind, what amazes you? I think, I think this prayer—it's fascinating the the tradition in the circles we come we come out of. For me, I think there was all, always this general idea that the Christian walk is about what it, it was solely about 
what is to come. So it's solely about what happens after I die. It's solely what happens, um, how I, how, what happens to me after I, di I die, and ultimately how I can affect what happens to people after they die. And and I think it's such a, and I, I think I think it's very real. I think the things that happen to us after die are very important and a critical part of the Christian faith. But what, what about this? What amazes me about this prayer is it's just this reminder about um, about the seriousness of what happens here, and and the call. Uh, the call in our lives as followers of Jesus to be serious about the things that Jesus is serious about, that he takes what happens here um, and he, ta he takes it with the utmost importance and the ut Jesus is giving an example of how to pray. Um, it's not this ethereal, hey, you know, pray for lots of people to be saved so they can have a cool mansion in the sky or pray for lots of people to be saved because we can add in the numbers or pray for lots of people to be saved because this is the right way and say, hey, when, when you pray, when you approach the Father, you know, pray for these very real, tangible things. Like, it's okay to pray that you would have your daily bread or trust and, and accept and know that God will give you your daily bread. Mm -hmm. It's okay to pray for, it's okay to pray, um, it's okay to pray for the very real reality of needing to have your debts forgiven, to need to have your sins forgiven, need to have um, what has happened to you in your day-to-day -day walk washed away. And, and I just think, so much of the time, what I love about how we do this is when we actually begin to sit down and just sit with what Jesus says, um, it is so, there's so much, it, it feels like this is an, this is another perfect example of the God of the universe getting into the mud with us, getting into the, into the dirt, into the grime with us, uh, and living, living where we're at as opposed to him saying, come get clean and then you can approach me. Mm hmm so that was all yeah. jambled. That was all. There's a lot there, but no, no. I, and and really, you tapped into something. I, one of the things I love about our discussions and this approach in particular is that I have studied this so much. And so as I'm I'm reading through, even just now, as I'm reading through, I'm remembering. Oh, I remember when I did this study, or I remember when I heard this sermon, or or or, or what was intriguing about this. But because I'm looking through the lens of amazed, I see it differently, and this correlates with what you're saying. I always think, what if we didn't know Jesus had said this? Hmm. What if we just found this in a document, it was in a book of prayers, and we didn't know it was Jesus' prayer? I think, and somebody said, I think Jesus said that. I think we would say, yeah, maybe the first part, mm -hmm. but the rest of it is so egocentric. Give me mm -hmm. my bread. Don't, you know, make sure to forgive me. Yeah. Make sure not to make life hard for me. Don't lead me into temptation. Don't lead me into hard stuff. Deliver me. Rescue me. You know what I mean? So it's it's it would be Jesus like, I think, in the sense oh, in the sense that you're honoring him and you know, hollowed or holy, you know, man, your name is holy. We want to keep it holy. We want to even in our minds right now, because because keep in mind, this is not Jesus saying, Hey, here's here's gonna be a, a major part in that magic hour once a week when you all get together in the room I never talked about, you know, to to do your real worship. This is what he's saying. This is your daily prayer because he wouldn't have said, give us our daily bread if he only anticipated you praying this once a week. You know what I mean? So this is an ongoing way you communicate with God. And it's very egocentric, oddly to me, you know, that, that this kind of... Now, there's deep teaching in it. Yeah. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But I would have anticipated him to talk a lot more about exactly what you're saying, mm. about save the lost. Lord, wh where is this harvest field prayer? You pray to the Lord of the harvest, yeah. you know? Where, pray where for is revival. This? Yeah, pray, pray for, for yeah, revival yeah. in your church. And, and I think somebody could could rightly say, well, that that's all encompassed with your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as, in, as it is in heaven. But, but I think it's interesting that he hones in on the thing. Now, now keep in mind, I'm not saying it's egocentric. Mm -hmm. I'm simply saying as a holy teaching and one of the main things as we've already established, one of the main 
teachings that people know about Jesus. Mm-hmm. Give me, forgive me, yeah. and deliver me, and don't make life too hard. Oh, for that's me. good. So you broke it all down. Forgive, you know, give me, forgive me. Like it, mm-hmm. there's so many means here, and I think you're hitting at something that is so prevalent. I think in my own heart, and I think it's very prevalent in today's. Christian culture, uh, because we live in a in a day and age that is so me focused. Which spoiler that's that's been every age since the beginning of time. Right. But since it's yeah. so visible with social media yeah. and right. with you know, the, it's just the, people are so much more willing to put that aspect of them out there. Mm-hmm. That there's this idea. I know for me that like if I'm not like obviously God calls us, you know, He said you know to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor. Those are the two greatest commandments. And so everything has to flow from that. But I think there could be a natural response to try to get away from the culture, try to get away um, from, from a lot of the ugliness and selfishness we see in today's day and age and to get to, you know, loving our neighbor that, oh, God wants us to not, to not think about ourselves. God wants us to not, you know, to not focus on ourselves or God wants us to not um, be able to process or be able to come to him. And I think that the reality that God does not want a relationship with you so that you can affect other people I think that's a really important thing that we have to keep in mind that God wants a relationship for you. God wants a relationship with you for you because of you, not because of what God can get from you. Yeah. Uh, and I think a lot of times we, we, we carry this idea um, because we know that God wants us. God wants us to love his children, love our brothers and sisters and, and, and seek the loss and serve and, and, and do all these things that God wants those things for us. But the reason that God chases after us, the reason, you know, the reason the shepherd leaves the 99 to go find us is not so that that sheep can then, you know, really benefit the shepherd. It's not so that then we can like, you know, move on from the self. It's that God is calling us to be the fullest version of ourself. And one of the things we have to keep in front of us all the time is that if we want to love people, and I mean love them the way that Jesus loved them, we have to know who we are and who God has called us to be. And if we feel a guilt that every time we go to the Father, we have to, well, we got to put these five or six things in front of us that are not about us for prayer, then we're not going to develop a relationship. Our, our relationship with God is going to be solely about other people, and it won't be about what God. So let me refer. I don't want to, I want to be very clear. Our, if we if we don't go to God with what we are genuinely feeling on the inside, with our genuine needs and our genuine desires, and we go with, I don't know, Jason, help me out here. Are you kind of? Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm tracking with you. It, it's this idea that, and I think you diagnosed it exactly right. We tend to react against things mm-hmm. more than react to God. Yeah, <laughs> you know, or respond to God is better wording there. And so part of it is. We've been taught that to ask for stuff, and obviously there we, we, we always cite these more extreme examples, this person that's like, okay, God, I want the best parking space, I want the green light, I want the best price on this, I want this, and and then them saying, I know there is a God because I get the best parking space. You know what I mean? Now, here's the truth to those of us that scoff at this. I can't say they're wrong because I'm not God. Yeah. So if God's given them the right parking space, I, that's immaterial to me. And if, if that's how God's working with them, I, I think sometimes when God becomes a genie, that's the problem. Mm-hmm. But instead of saying, hey, that's that's this person's problem in communicating and maybe they need to deepen in their faith, we just steer the opposite direction. So I'll never ask anything about me. And this gets to your point, that creates inauthenticity. Mm-hmm. If I have real hurt, and I see this with people in general where they're like, I have real hurt, but I know somebody else is hurting more, then I won't talk about my real hurt. Mm-hmm. As, if, as if their hurt invalidates your hurt. And and the consequence to that is if this is your daily prayer yeah. that you never honestly say, God, my feelings are really hurt. God, I'm very scared. God, I'm I'm really excited today. You know, basically we are training ourselves to lie to God. 
Now, the, the great irony is he can see it all. It, it's a parallel to, I have a little kid, so this is my past and your future. Uh, <laughs> you have a little kid that comes to you. You know they've screwed something up big time. And they're trying to spin it like it wasn't them. And so now there's two infractions. They're screw up, and now they're deception. And you would much rather them come to you and say, I screwed up big time, so then now you can work together. But now you've got to correct their deception. You know what I mean? Now, because of the dynamic with God, that, it, that we have this free will, and we have you know this capacity to process and think as, as, as adults, God doesn't correct every time we do something wrong. You know, I, and so this is a dynamic that, that creates even more space for deception. Hmm. And the irony, of course, is he can see everything. And I keep coming to him and I'm saying, don't worry about my daily bread. When, when in, in the reality is I'm anxious about my daily bread. Don't, don't worry about my temptation when I'm really anxious about that. So I create this dual relationship and that hmm. message, when you're in pain, when you have a need, that message will come out some way. Yeah. But it's just like your spouse. If you learn to share your most important things with somebody other than your spouse, how will that affect your relationship? And I think unintentionally, Christianity has taught people to share their most important things with everybody but God hmm. because it doesn't sound spiritual enough. Mm -hmm. No, I think that's so big. And I think why this prayer is so important is that is that dynamic of if we don't have a God that comes to us and knows our feelings, knows our struggles, knows what it is to, to have temptation and knows what it is to be human, then uh, then God would not be somebody we could approach that way. God mm -hmm. would not be somebody that would be able to like that that sort of God would not be able to understand why we would want to pray for these things, why we would desire, why we'd have these anxieties or why we'd feel them in this specific and intense way. And I think for me, it just, it, it amazes me and gives me so much thankfulness for, you know, just for the incarnation, for who Jesus is, for the reality that he came to do that. Because I think for so many people, the reason religion becomes stale is because religion becomes like this unapproachable there's this unapproachable god who's sitting on a mountain somewhere you know who's sitting on the clouds with a with a big white beard and he's he's ruling judgmentally over over all of you know the universe and how i think for well, i think for everybody it can this can be the truth but how for me religion and higher meaning and all these things became more was that i saw um i saw these truths in the person of jesus and this i mean this is why this is why jesus so, so much time we focus rightly on his death, but I think this is this is one of those areas why, where it's so important where we focus on the life that mm -hmm. Jesus lived. Um, and if we can begin to focus on that, I think Jesus, Jesus being able to <laughs> Jesus being able to model this, Jesus being able to teach us this, makes the Father so much more approachable. Makes the Father so much more uh, so much more of a safe place. Um, just uh, uh, just speaking uh, in terms of psychologically, I think. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Oftentimes we think about the reconciliation, uh, or like Paul will say, there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. We think of that solely in um, like legal terms or, you know, like, like financial terms. You're being held ransom and Jesus pays that ransom. And yes, that's a big part of the reconciliation. But another part is the actual reconciliation. In other words, mm -hmm. if I owe you a million dollars... And until I pay that, I can't have a relationship with you because it's just too painful and awkward. Somebody comes and pays that million dollars. That's part of the reconciliation. Mm -hmm. But then my actual connection to you, mm -hmm. my understanding, my sense of safety to say, man, I'm sorry, and that you will accept me and forgive me, that's also part of it. And, and the thing I just remind myself all the time is God did not have to reveal a single emotion that Jesus had. 
He didn't have to present him as weeping out of control. He didn't have to present him as so stressed out, the you know, whatever that, if he's bleeding or whether he's just sweating profusely. He didn't have to reveal any of that, and he does it on purpose so we can understand Jesus was pleasing to God, though stressed. Jesus was pleasing to God, though angry. Oh, that's a signal to me. Mm-hmm. That's part of the reconciliation, too. Oh, that's beautiful. And so when we go to God and we're stressed or we're angry, we get to have the, we get to have the knowledge that if God is pleased, if we go to God with a stress, with an anxiety, and we are earnest in that presentation for the desire for him to do, to move, to do something in our life, there would be the sense from so many of us that, well, the first thing that God is going to think about is that you're stressed or that you're angry or that you're frustrated. Mm-hmm. But the, or the reality, the first thing is that God is so excited because this is the space that he wants to be in. Right. And, and the implication is uh, you've got to clean that up before you go into this royal throne room. And when Isaiah goes in, Isaiah's wishing he could have cleaned it up and he couldn't. And God said, I got the cleanup. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's not just when Jesus comes throughout the Bible, God's the one with Abraham. They were on equal footing. God had to make that covenant, you know, with no equality there, mm. you know, and God shows again, again, it's God's work. Our work is to come to him and present ourselves as a sacrifice. Not to pretend like we're emotionless and we're so mature, we really don't need his help in the first place. That's good. That's good. So, Jason, what perplexes you? So, it it is perplexing to me. I it, it's it's so many times as the other side of the coin of this is this is not a very comprehensive prayer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like like this leaves a lot. Now, again, if a person looks at this and says, "Yeah, what would it mean if we just really exploded the idea of your kingdom come, your will be done?" You know, what I mean. Yeah. But from the immature mind, and I would submit to you, these men had immature minds, immature understandings of, of Jesus. Th- this dynamic, what does it create? And and why would God leave it hmm. so distant? Because think about this. When you say, are you following God? Most people are like, I mean, unless they're against it, they're like, yeah. And they say, what does that mean to you? Uh, I'm, I go to church sometimes and... I pray, you know, and I read the Bible once. You know what I mean? It's it's really vague. You know what I mean? So in many ways, I think these, well, I know these men that are receiving this prayer, these apostles, your kingdom come, your will be done. We know even after the resurrection, they're still thinking kingdom come means kingdom on earth. Yeah. You know, and Jesus's lack of specificity, that the generic nature, and, and this mm-hmm. comes up in almost all of his teaching, is bothersome to me. Like if somebody came in there and said, I'm going to do a seminar and help your, or even just a sermon, and help your people really learn to pray, and they said, hey, here's how to pray, and they just presented the Lord's Prayer. Now, of course, I know it is the Bible, so I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know I mean? Of course. But if I'd never heard this before, I'd be like, how inadequate is that? Like you are leaving so much out, you know? And and I just think it's 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 still weird to me. I mean, I can yeah. justify it because I know it's Jesus, I know he's right, but it is still weird to me how short it is. And how much this leaves out. No, that's really good. And I, that was, I think this is what per, was originally going to perplex me, but there was, that may not answer to what you had said, but just a thought that that maybe calmed some things in my heart. So when Jesus says, your will, you know, your kingdom come, your will be done. I think 1000% of Christians can pray this prayer, right? There's not a single person that can look in this prayer and go, I, I, you know, I don't need my daily bread. I don't need to be forgiven. If you're a genuine mm-hmm. follower of Jesus, you, you, you can't pray this prayer, but when we say your kingdom come, your will be done as or on earth as it is in heaven, how that plays out, I think, I think, man, I think there are a thousand different views of that. So, like, I'll just take this one example of, let's say, so, uh, so thinking about in, in terms of like, in just for an example, the LGBT issue, 
there's so there's so much uh, heartache and so much anger and so much frustration around this whole issue. And at the heart of it is, I think, good followers of Jesus want to br- want to make make this aspect of the reality of of where we are right now more like heaven, right? We want to see more of God's kingdom in this specific area. Because when we think about LGBT issues, you know, the record suicide rates uh, in teenagers, a lot of the hate, a lot of the frustration um, that has been inflicted on, on, on these people, any Christian can look at that and go, that's not right. That's not, uh, that's not of the, that's not of the kingdom. That's not of what, what Jesus wants to bring. But when you get down to the specifics of, of, okay, how, what does it mean to love? What does it mean to, um, to, to live out the will to, um, to live out, to to help bring about the will of God in these situations, to help love and serve in these specific areas. There's a thousand different ways that's going to look like. For some people, for some people, they will say to to love and to show the will of God in this specific in this specific situation. It, there's only one way you can do that, and that's a hundred percent affirmation of any behavior of any sort of lifestyle that you want to say. And then there's some people who will say the only way that you can bring the will of God in the situation or show love in the situation is a hundred percent condemnation for who they are. And every time, every time and mm-hmm. not, the conversation can't start unless there's condemnation. Right. And there's a, there in between there, there's a thousand different, thousand different mm-hmm. areas. But I think the beauty, and I, I'm getting kind of emotional in this situation because I, there, there are many different people who have di- many different views that I think are, can be hurtful that I think cannot be, that are not right. That I think are just really hurtful to lots of people. But I think the beauty in this is we see the desire for unity in the church that for somebody like for somebody with my views on a specific issue that, that thinks, man, how we help people, how we love people, how we do this, how we bring out the will of God is this way. And somebody who has the same earnestness and the same desire to seek after God has the opposite views of me that we can still pray the same prayer and the desire for the kingdom to be here and now to have heaven exist at, to have, have heaven exist here as it is as there, man, I think there's so much power in there. I think there's so much beauty in that recognition um, and that ability for for all people to pray this, for all people to to affirm this, to, to, for all people to be able to say yes, completely, 100% God. I, I think that's a really good observation. And, and I think this, this goes to a lot of situations that we've discussed. I, I don't know if it's been on podcasts, but just in general in our, in our study over the years, is this dynamic that Jesus, I am fixated on, hey, I've got a point to make, I need you to get it. Jesus was not fixated on that yeah. because he let people walk away all the time. And he had the authority to say, no, 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 come back. Matter of fact, he says, I teach parables so they won't understand. And I'm like, that's bad teaching, you know. Um, but but his his point there is, I am stirring. I am stirring people's imagination. So this is the irony. If I feel irritated by what Jesus says or totally excited and elated about what he says, both are success to him. Mm-hmm. Because when something irritates me, what happens? I think about it. I think about it. His goal was never, I want to convince you by my teaching. His goal, and I don't know if I've ever said this in this way, his goal was, I want you to hear my teaching and wonder about God. Mm-hmm. It can be bad wonder or good wonder, but I want you to wonder about God because once you start thinking about God, God will lead you, hmm. you know? It, this is the irony. This is that hot-cold thing in, in Revelation where uh, Tim Rush, my co-preacher, uh, he says often, he says, man, Jesus says clearly, hey, don't, I'd rather you be hot or cold, but don't be lukewarm. But we're parts of church. We're part of church is mostly like, let's just stay lukewarm. Yeah. You know what I mean? We don't believe that it's better to be cold than lukewarm. In fact, churches oftentimes will like, you know, you have the faucets running on hot or like on hot 
or and then you then they will actively do things that go oh that's taking us into a dangerous category so we need to turn on some cold here real quick right and calm then, that down yeah calm that down calm, yeah, that, calm down. that down and and i think why god because the question is why would god want you to be cold more than lukewarm because lukewarm is numb lukewarm becomes blind Whereas when you're cold, you're like, I don't even want God. That God just bugs me. I hate God. Mm-hmm. But you're thinking about God. Yeah. But when you're lukewarm, you're just numb. You're like, I go to church. I show up. I do this thing. I do that thing. I'm good enough. I, I think I probably won't go to hell at the end of this, you know, mm-hmm. and that's lukewarm, yeah. you know, and, and that's the dynamic. So to your point, that, that, that does explain some, it still bugs me, sure. you know what I mean? But it, but it does explain the dynamic, like most of his teaching, he wants them to be thinking because I can't pray consistently, even if I'm doing it by rote, I can't pray consistently, your will be done on earth as in heaven, and it not eventually impact me to say, what does that mean to me? Mm. No, I I think think that's so important. And I think for me, just like a very real world example, I brought it up in last week's episode, but for me with, um, just with the struggles we've had with Indigo and just her crazy abnormal um, sleeping issues, like, and I know everybody that hears this goes, all babies have struggle. struggle. Uh, if you want to get the specifics, it's, it's pretty extraordinarily terrible. Um, and, and so for me, very as an eyewitness, <laughs> I would say it's, it's a rough road, it's a rough, 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 rougher than I have. Recording in what can loosely be defined as a home uh, right now. It's, it's, that, <laughs> it's, it's that messy. No, but, uh, but, but for me, and I, I've, I've talked to Hannah about this, like there is so much frustration and anger because you know, obviously we're not going to blame our little five month old for you know for her issues it's not her fault and we've talked to doctors and talked to specialists and they're like no you're, you're doing everything right connor and hannah you're like you're doing what you can do and so there, there's nobody to be there's nobody to be angry at there's nobody frustrated with and so we just keep pleading with god god help god fix it and sometimes like right now in the middle of the day i'm like god would you just please please show up for us please show up in this way please give us relief but at like two in the morning when we haven't slept and when there's no prospect of sleeping when there's frustration and tiredness like there is that why god there is that frustration there's that anger and i and i've I've told myself this and i've told my wife this over and over again like god would much rather that prayer than just shutting it off god would much rather Mm -hmm. the prayer of why god are you allowing this to happen why is why is this terrible thing happening versus just numbness just pushing it down and not and not presenting it to him Mm -hmm. and i think it's this it's this thought that we have that the good christian the good follower of jesus would never be led to a place to need to pray that prayer that a good Christian isn't ever going to find themselves in that situation where they have to, where they're bewildered and they, they have nowhere to go, but to be frustrated or angry or questioning with God. And I think, I think the whole of the Bible just is, would mock that idea. Yeah, exactly. But I, I think for me, it, it's so much harder in practice when you're in the middle of it because it feels like failure, right? Mm-hmm. When you feel like you've had a really good prayer life for most of your life. And then all of a sudden you're going through a lot of trials and tribulation and you're just, just why, 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 why God, why this, why this, what do I have to do? What, why is this happening? What have I done wrong? Like just processing all of that out loud, it can feel like failure. But I think for God, like God doesn't want me to go like at two in the morning when I'm frustrated. I'm like, well, God, I'm, I'm a little bit frustrated right now. But anyways, let's just pray for, you know, like, no, God wants, God wants me in that situation. God doesn't Mm -hmm. want some phony version of me. He doesn't want some, um, false, like false me trying to put on a show for him he wants me and me in that moment is frustrated and angry and scared it's not somebody who has it all figured out and so yeah. for me that and that and i hadn't put that into words into this moment but that, that's that's very instructive for me it, it is and and that's the thing he 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 fulfills every good role that you've ever had. If you've ever had a good cook, he's the better cook. If you ever had a good coach, he's the better coach. A good accountant, a good manager, you know, what I mean, he's always the better. And that idea of he is the better coach, 
uh, that speaks to me sometimes because that coach picture, and it can be accomplished by Savior and Lord too, but that coach picture says, this person is going to ask me to do stuff that is terrible for a greater purpose. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I didn't play beyond uh, Pee Wee League, and I get it. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah. so for you, what perplexes you about this? Sure. It's kind of switching gears here. The in, in verse... Uh, in verse 13 and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one uh, just this this dynamic of of God leading us away from temptation and what that looks like how that plays out and, and how much responsibility God has in that because there are certain things I know in my life where things that are triggers for sin that I know I have like I have I have the ability to not be tempted by that I have the ability to, to put to, to put roadblocks up to do mental exercises I have the ability to overcome those things and to not put myself into temptation. But there are things, there are things where things just happen to me in life where I couldn't have foreseen them and there's a temptation to sin and a temptation to to struggle. And so what, like what that, what this means for that reality, what that means for this, I I just don't know what to do with it, honestly. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a struggle because like, this is always one of those things, how much like, how heavy is God's hand, you know, at play here? How, um, how much, you know, because I believe God is, is in control and, and he is he's leading us, but I also believe he gives us free will. It's, it's, it's that whole dynamic that I, I don't know. We're not going to solve it here and now, but it, this is just another aspect of it that, that that's hard. I, I totally agree. And I'm, I'm grateful you you put the spotlight there because I hadn't processed it that way. But now that you say it, I'm like, yeah, because now, okay, so I know, I know till the day I die, lust is going to be one of those temptations against me. Gluttony is going to be one of those temptations that, that the devil has used effectively against me in my life. And I feel like, man, I've made a lot of progress, you know. But then it'll hit me in waves sometimes. I feel like I'm doing great. And then it's like, what is going on? You mm-hmm. know? And it's taken a lot of learning. Obviously, like, Jason, you want to go to, like, CC's and, or, you know, you yeah, want to exactly. go to, to think of a buffet place. And- yeah, that's why COVID's been so good for me. You know, they're like, no more buffets. I, but the but the dynamic of, um, of recognizing, wait, this is spiritual. This is a spiritual attack. That's been a huge game changer in my mind. That being said... I still sometimes it's like I'm saying, hey, this is a spiritual attack while I'm giving into that spiritual attack, you know? And and then I'm like, well, should I pray stronger? If I prayed stronger, God lead me not into temptation, would that temptation have been so overwhelming? Hmm. You know what I mean? Or is that me not responding to the leadership he's offering me? Yeah. You know, like like God from God's perspective, he's like, Hey, I am leading you not to, and you are running from my leadership, you know. <laughs> And I think that where this rubber meets the road, I guess you'd say, is that dynamic of how do I apply this teaching? Do I need to invest more in, God, here are my temptations. Will you deliver me from them? Will you not lead me into them? And then that's a, that's a troubling dynamic where you're like, so he leads us into temptations? Yeah. Uh, you know, and temptation and testing, that's the same Greek word, and context decides what, how it's translated, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, well, God, well, Jason, as you know, in the most famous passage of all scripture, God will never give you more than you can handle. So uh, I'm just, I'm yeah, just kidding. I'm yeah, just kidding. Exactly. <laughs> Have we dealt with that already in the podcast? Uh, but, but it's that <laughs> dynamic of it really does leave me perplexed on. I only have so much energy. So where is the most maximizing place? And at the end of the day, it's trust him. And I get that. But trying to fine tune how I trust him. Yeah, it, it does. It, it leaves it leaves a dynamic. And, and the goal here is I don't want to sin. You know, I don't want to sin. But then I can also start worshiping my desire not to sin more than I actually worship God. Hmm. Uh, and so I can see that, that all roads, God creates this dynamic that if I'm wanting to trust him, all roads lead back to trusting him. Yeah. Uh, as the ultimate answer. So 
So yeah, good job, Jesus. Good prayer. Good prayer. Uh, and uh, we're going to continue to muddle, muddle, muddle through with it. Yeah. So I would just encourage you, and we're, this is we're wrapping up here. The the music is probably playing on the finished version of this, but so you can know that we're you'll know that we're wrapping up. But I would just encourage you. For me, uh, just maybe take the next three days or five days or whatever, and pray this prayer over your life. Uh, pray this this. Yeah, just pray this prayer over your life. I remember from because of the tradition I grew up in, this wasn't, you know, I didn't grow up Catholic and I didn't grow up King James, so this wasn't like an active practice that I that I took. But being able to, to take to God in prayer the words of Jesus, to take to God in prayer, um, things that are so that are relevant to you every single day. Uh, for me, I don't do it every day, but I have done periods where I've done seven days a month or whatever. It man, it, it can be really impactful and really helpful. And so for me, I'm going to try to do that for the next six to seven days. I'm going to try to make sure to say it every morning and maybe every night before I... I don't go to bed, but every night um, <laughs> before the, the clock strikes midnight, I'm going to try to say it. And I just would just encourage you to see what, what would God have for you in that practice. Uh, thank you for listening to the Amaze and Perplex podcast. If you want to find out more about us or get in contact with us, you can go to amazeandperplex.com. Grace, peace, and love.